hello and welcome to One for the Books. I'm Jacinta. And I'm Emma. We're a book podcast for everyone, whether you love reading or your idea of a book is a glossy mag, we have recommendations to kickstart your book club. Equal part book club, ultimate reckless, and catch up with your friends. Hello, I thought you were going to stop after equal part book club and just like not go on. Classic me forgetting, just like in the middle of a sentence, of course. I'm seriously impressed you still can do it off by heart. I still genuinely, it's like my brain refuses to take it in. I can't do my beat without looking at the script. And it's like the shortest thing. It's like a sentence, but neither of us can like remember properly. Should we tell people what we're talking about today? Well, I'm particularly very excited about this topic because this is right in my wheelhouse. This is something I'm very passionate about. It's books by journalists, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait. But also... How difficult was it for you to not just pick Patrick Radenkeefe for all the Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I might have, like, an extra list a little later because I literally – I pulled an Emma because I literally couldn't decide. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I just love nonfiction and journalists write the best nonfiction. Mm. And, like, an investigation into something, nothing's better. God. I mean, disagree, but sure. <laughs> have you no, read a Patrick really Radden Keith book? I haven't. And I've been dreading See? the day you asked me that question. See, you haven't experienced it yet. So, I But I listened to his podcast, The Winds of Change. And oh, that's that right. was amazing. So I've still experienced Patrick Radden Keith. I just haven't read any of his work. Well, I find books by journalists or like say nonfiction a really good thing to get yourself started if you're struggling to find a book because there's literally a book on like any topic that you want. So there's someone, true. whether it's music or health or whatever, yeah. there's always a book. It's easier when you're reading something you enjoy. So I always find it really good to as a springboard for more in-depth books. That's really clever. And also they're so in-depth and comprehensive that um, even if it's not a topic you would normally read or consider, they're always so interesting. Totally. You become an expert for a day on that yeah. like, one topic. And then you can't shut the fuck up when you talk to other people as if you're the expert, but it's this vicarious learning from the journalist. And then you're like, oh my God, yes, exactly. I know everything about sleep now. Do you want to know all of the fun facts? Um, well, given that you were the expert in the field, um, did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So I've actually gone down a different route than I usually do. I've gone quite scientific and environmental. And I guess I didn't know very much about the topic and it's called The Sixth Extinction and a Natural History by Elizabeth Colbert. And she's basically a New Yorker staff writer and environmental journalist. Mm. She actually won the Pulitzer Prize for nonfiction writing for this book, I think in 2015. And she essentially details the fact that we're actually in the midst of a sixth extinction. Oh my god. It's the first time we've actually caused it. So not like only it's human's fault. Yeah, it's human made. Oh. So at the same time we're discovering all this history about other mass extinctions we've experienced in history, but also discovering that we're actually causing 
another one right in the middle of it, which is quite a difficult, ironic place to be. <laughs> Good on us. Aren't humans just amazing? Well, yeah, because this kind of environmental writing can be quite depressing, but she actually... <laughs> so, yes, yes, it can. It's like... I mean, it's kind of The like, world okay. is on fire, literally. Yeah, mass extinction, end of the world, like... Yeah. Nothing just some is cash topics. But she actually uses that to her advantage, the fact that essentially trying to convey the excitement of what's being learned and what we're discovering, but also the horror of it. And she's trying to make people come away with an appreciation of the actual moment we're in where we can decide what path we go down. So it's kind of up to us, which left the book on a high kind of hopeful note. But then, I feel like that's yeah. because you're inherently optimistic, though. <laughs> I feel yeah. like if it was me, I'd be like, we're doomed. Um, nothing's going to save us. And you're like, oh, it's like so lovely. Like anything could happen. I love that so much. Well, I think you can really tell that she was like, she studied literature before she was a journalist as well. So while there's like some pretty heavy, like scientific topics and jargon in this, she explains it really well and kind of breaks it down. So she goes through each of the five mass extinctions that have already radically transformed the texture of life on earth in history dinosaurs and she, yes dinosaurs yeah, is dinosaurs one of the them only one I know. <laughs> I'm out. and she she goes through each one focusing either on an animal or an area for each period it feels like you're going on a little safari or an investigation with her or like she's touring around a museum that's what this book felt like to me like a tour around a museum, which is kind of what I live for. I love yeah, that kind like of stuff. Time travel through a book, like you're Doctor Who and you're going back in time to relive all of these like really key moments that changed the course of history. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that she does it through animals, she visits Panama to study the Panamanian golden frog and how they were extinct and the great orc, which is the original penguin in Iceland. Oh, and then she goes to Italy around like Naples to show what's happening with the increase of carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere. And she also, what I found really interesting, Australia comes up a lot in this book. So oh, while it's such like a massive kind of lofty book of all these really big theories and the fact that Australia comes up quite a bit, she actually spends a chapter in the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, um, it, it makes it hit quite close to home because it's all things that we recognized so it brought it very like literally close to home what really matters is that people can like change the world and we have the ability to do that so yeah it's really fascinating and like I said it it felt like she was taking you on one of her investigations she like explained it really well she's like a really engaging writer especially when you're dealing with such heavy like scientific Mm, content yeah it can be it can get quite bogged down in that and you don't want that so she was really good at balancing that and I just yeah I thought this book really opened my eyes and was incredible (laughs) and that we're responsible for it like it's not that this is just happening around us it's like this is because of us yeah exactly it's happening so much faster because of that yeah and how like yeah like I said millions of years of evolution can just be undone in like a matter of seconds oh my god because of how far we've come as well and the fact that all of this wasn't discovered into like 300 years which I was really surprised about the existence of dinosaurs people didn't know that until 300 years ago like it's wild 
That is really crazy when you think about it, that just like no one knew that. Yeah, so all of these theories are so recent and that's another thing that she hits home. It's the fact that it's a coincidence that we're discovering it right now just Mm. as we're like on the brink of another sex extinction. So yeah, so it's like, wait, we just discover it all and then we wipe ourselves out. Yeah, exactly. It's like a really weird like balancing act. So yeah, and a weird fucked up cyclical thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it just, yeah, it just made the book so much more urgent and so much more pressing and I guess a much more engaging read as well so as someone who doesn't read much about nature and the environment I loved this and I loved learning more about it and she did it in a really accessible way as well so if anyone wants to learn about it too it's called The Sixth Extinction an Unnatural History by Elizabeth Colbert. Oh such a good way to start us off also going in deep yeah, some some pretty like <laughs> intense topics there. It's yeah. not like we're gonna start with a lat read. It's like no. we're doomed. It's definitely something that it's the best kind of book written by a journalist. You learn about a whole, like you were saying, you learn about a whole topic that you've never known most about, and it enriches you in that way. So that definitely was it for me. Yeah. What about um, you? Is yours is yours on the same journey? <laughs> is it quite deep or is it a more lighthearted one? No, I would say it's also um, it's pretty intense to read and also can be quite enraging in the sense that, you know, those books where they're eye-opening and you learn facts that you maybe didn't already know and it just makes you understand how corrupt the system can be. Oh, my gosh, I love this. <clears throat> what is it? Um, Who Gets to be Smart by Brie Lee. Oh, I love this book and I love her. Yeah. So, look, I'm taking a, like, loose lens um, in terms of the definition of a journalist. Um, <laughs> like, she's an author and a writer, but she contributes all the time to, like, the monthly, the Saturday paper, Guardian, Crikey, like, so many publications. And she does, like, actual journalistic pieces. So, um, all her books are investigative non-fiction so exactly (laughs) and her pieces are mostly that as well but did you say you've read this book I have yeah (laughs) what did you think I really liked it the way she writes is incredible Mm, yeah it's so fascinating so yeah it's a book that examines sort of the nexus of knowledge power and privilege um, and the interplay between all of them and it focuses almost exclusively on Australia but um, like obviously she pulls some kind of Um, information particularly from the UK around um, mainly Oxford um, Mm. and the Rhodes Scholarship. Um, Yeah, exactly. And the fallacy that we continue to tell ourselves of equality of opportunity, but we live in a society and a system that continues to exacerbate class and social divides. And that was quite terrifying reading about that. Particularly Australia compared to oh. other OECD nations was also pretty terrifying. Yeah, the fact how, how insidious it is and how many yeah. kind of examples she gave where it's just I would have never even thought that it was a problem in those areas. Like it's yeah. wild. It really Well, we're is. pretty much one of the only countries in the world that publicly fund private schools. That pretty much doesn't exist anywhere else because it's – Oh, kind of weird um exactly yeah like why why why? they're private for a reason um 
and even how like university and academia are structured and work um, and you know how they're designed and set up to continue to benefit and there's a preferential treatment for certain kinds of people yeah um, there's a certain yeah. there's a certain kind of type of person exactly. that's allowed access to these areas and say scholarships or certain educations yes and that kind of thing and that feeds into all of the power structures and institutions around the country and it just it really kind of shone a light on that it was really a wake-up call I think definitely for me yeah and even just like how um she you know references the Gonski report that was the review into Australia's education system that was commissioned years ago and basically mm. nothing happened from it that's um, so true yeah and how you know there was some really basic recommendations that people were in uproar about and also I didn't realize that private schools in Australia get two tiers of funding so they can act so in Australia the state system um is the one responsible for our education. Um, so that's where public schools get all of their funding from, is from the state governments. Mm. Um, and pu- private schools also get funding from those state governments. But then private schools can also access federal government funding for capital works. So like building works and renovations and stuff like that, they can access through federal government funding. So they get so access to unfair. double yeah. dip when public schools can't access any federal funding because they're state controlled yeah it's, and it's, it's just it like, is crazy what so they can build yeah. these multi-million dollar buildings with the combination of federal government funding and you know the ex- insane amounts parents spend to send their kids there but all private schools also have like a philanthropy arm exactly. as well and they do their own funding so a lot of those buildings are also funded by exactly. alumni or like previous families with lots of money so it's this kind of self-perpetuating cycle that no yes. one can ever get out of oh it's just wild um but I think the thing I really loved about this book in particular like it was a fascinating topic and one that I feel like there really isn't enough focus on in Australia um but each chapter felt like a standalone essay like you could have pulled out each chapter and published it as a long-form essay in a newspaper and I feel like it would have been a brilliant read on its own yeah that's a good point Yeah. yeah but she'd also woven it all together so well that it came it was so cohesive still that it worked um, and it made sense and it covered, you know, every aspect of the education system and how it came to be. And yeah. I feel like it was this really perfect insight into the power structures, how they were created and how they continue to operate. Um, well, she can pretty much, I think her background as a lawyer really shone through. Yes, Because she can totally. really like hammer home an argument. And like you said, each chapter could be standalone because she's arguing throughout it. That makes it really effective. Totally. But yeah, I just felt like, I think I say this all the time about particularly nonfiction books I read, <laughs> but it feels like essential reading. I feel like every teacher mm-hmm. and every politician and every parent needs to read this book so that regardless of what decisions you're making, you actually understand the foundation of everything before you have to participate in the school system. Totally, yes. And like the fact that Australia is has so much of this discrimination, I don't think people realise how much that it actually is kind of embedded in the system 
Yes. And I think people just assume that it's the same in other white countries like the US and the UK and, you know, even other European countries. And I actually think that this is why it's really important because she has really good questions around, you know, how we've structured our school system here and why Mm. it doesn't work when you compare it to Mm. other countries and also just how bad we track on a lot of the measures of the school system you know where we have one of the highest rates of that's a good point too yes like we have one of the highest rates of private school enrollments you know we have really low rates of um some really basic measures around Mm. um like literacy and numeracy and yeah yeah, the results don't stack up yeah but it just it's one of those great books that just leaves you pondering so much of your own life and choices and your place in the world in a really interesting way, not in a self-hating way. Yeah, true. It definitely makes you question preconceived notions and even the way the children's book, what messages we received. Even as children, like that kind of blew my mind that it was already fed to us at that young age, Mm. this idea of intelligence. It really is fascinating and I think she does it so, so well. So well. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's my first pick. I feel like I've raved about it enough. Um, oh, yeah, I love it. It's Who Gets to Be Smart by Brie Lee, who, you know, is, I think, one of Australia's best contemporary writers. Totally. I love mm. an investigation piece from her. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. Again, the world is trash and on fire, <laughs> just in a different way to climate change. <laughs> At the end of the world. <laughs> anyway, what is your second pick? Um, So my second book is actually more in the sphere of health, which is another quite different thing for me, but it is about the Theranos scandal. So it's called Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in Silicon Valley Startup by John Carreyou. And it's basically the comprehensive story about (laughs) the rise and fall of Theranos, the startup that Elizabeth Holmes founded when she was just 19 was she 19 i didn't realize she was that young watch one episode of the netflix (laughs) show um so that's the extent of my knowledge of this (laughs) topic i think people might know it from the tv series that you're talking about the dropout which is based on a podcast called the dropout right so it was an article to start with that turned into a book that turned into a netflix show Yeah, exactly. And I think it's going to be a movie too, the Jennifer Lawrence, very soon. Wait, why does it need to be a TV show and a movie? (laughs) I think people were really crazy about this story. It is, it is honestly wild. Well, I feel like this is going to be full of spoilers, so which is good because I'm not going to finish the TV show anyway. So did you not like it? I didn't mind. It was just long, like each episode. Basically, what it was, it was a startup that promised revolutionise the medical industry from just a prick of blood and that it could give you enough blood to do all these countless tests. And Elizabeth, even as a 19-year-old, she kind of raised millions and millions of dollars in fundraising and kind of became this Silicon Valley startup unicorn with all these really important people on board. But the problem was that the technology never worked. Yeah, it's just... The audacity. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or the and self-belief. I don't know. but Well, it's kind of – I find Elizabeth Holmes really interesting because it, it kind of broke in that scam girl summer, the Anna Delvey, the Caroline Calloway, the Fire Festival people. Like, it all broke around that same time. But 
I feel like Elizabeth Holmes is in a whole different category because maybe because of like the sheer size of the con (laughs) and the success of Theranos. Like it was, she gave TED Talks, she was on covers of like Time and Forbes and all that kind of thing. And I think at like the height, Theranos was valued at 10 billion or something. But I think also, I know it's wild and all like, it it didn't work ever. (laughs) Like at all? No. Oh my like God. she was lying to people the pretty much the entire time. How stressful. <laughs> I know. The thing is, like, even reading this book, Elizabeth Holmes is such, like, a weird, like, interesting character because it seems like she genuinely believed that she was doing something good for the world. Mm. She was, like, an idealist to a fault. But when the technology kept not working, her problem was that she kept lying and covering it up, created this atmosphere of lots of secrets and lies and a very like toxic abusive workplace and that was kind of her downfall it's almost like the whole company was getting away from her like it was causing so much success and she couldn't keep up with it with the actual scientific background so she kind of ran this company with like mass paranoia because she was so scared people were going to find out every second which while it proves for an incredible story yeah (laughs) and like book and podcast and tv series it would have been like awful to be living through which again it's worth noting that she's blonde and white (laughs) oh totally and she got like all these really how do i say these really quite old men form a bunch of like secretaries of state old ceos like people with a lot of money Mm. henry kissinger even rupert murdoch gave her money she kind of Gammed all these Which, like, really powerful. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> why part I'm like, of me that's like, fuck yeah, scam Rupert Murdoch out of his <laughs> insane wealth. Yeah, exactly. It's wild that she actually got all these people to believe in her and like give her all that money. Yeah. Um, so there was some skill in it, but she still was essentially conning people. And oh, yeah. she never, yeah, it never really worked. She never told anyone the truth. But, yeah, it's just a wild story. It really is like a modern epic. And isn't it fascinating how journalists can almost beat the odds in that sense of, like, they're the little men in the sense that these people have so much wealth and public backing Mm. and influence. And then it's just so – it feels very Robin Hood vibes that then the journalists get those stories out and break them. Yeah. Yes. They they reference David and Goliath a lot yes. about it. I mean, I feel like every big battle ever <laughs> is David <laughs> and Goliath, but yes, yeah. like it's so appropriate. And I think the most crazy thing, so George Schultz, the former Secretary of State who was a massive funder and was on the board of this like really important old guy. Yeah. Um his grandson got a job and quit because he saw everything <gasps> was going on and he became one of the whistleblowers. No so way. So in the middle of this story, this family epic dynamic, the grandson is trying to convince his grandfather that it's bad, but he does, he's on Elizabeth's side. It ruins their family. Like grandson keeps going and is like, is really brave to like be the whistleblower. And like it's wild. And to family in addition to his former employer, and exactly. the fact that they're like this incredibly powerful company. Yeah. Wow. Very scary. So I've, I'm in complete awe of both the journalist and all the former employees that came out and put their, put their jobs on the line to get this story out and to stop the company from deceiving people. Yeah. So yeah, I know, wild. So that is 
Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley startup by John Carreyou. So there's lots of different avenues to, uh, to <laughs> yeah, understand like, this story. You don't like yeah. a book? No worries. It's a podcast. You don't like podcasts? No worries. It's a TV show. Don't like TV shows? TV it's a movie. Shows. No, it's a movie. Exactly. <laughs> don't like that? It's an article. There's <laughs> one for everyone. <laughs> it's like choose your own adventure. Exactly. <laughs> I love I love a deep dive into an investigation. So the book for me was perfect. Okay. But you have your you have your own pick of whatever you like whatever way you want to consume it whatever medium is your favorite (laughs) totally yeah but I mean with all of them it's just a wild story and a crazy character at the at the center of it in Elizabeth Holmes so recommend Mm. such a good recommendation I think yours is kind of similar in that it was your next one a few similarities to this one doesn't I was thinking that it's a very very similar in terms of the concept of the book is about journalists unpacking, I guess, the way that they um, published a very intense piece of investigative journalism. Um, So I'm recommending She Said by Jodie Cantor and Megan Tui, who are the two Pulitzer Prize winning journalists behind the original, like they broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Um, So it was first published in the New York Times. And this book sort of details in real time the story and process behind their investigation and how they built the story by like painstaking pieces at a time. The story of the decade, pretty much. Yeah, the biggest but it breaking was story. Yeah, fascinating hearing or like reading about the process that they had to go through and how it slow horrific, it was at the yeah. beginning, and yeah. then it just got so intense and fast paced towards the end when you're like, oh my god, like they, I would just never have slept. <laughs> Um, but especially just, how there was a competing story coming oh out in um, the, um, Ronan Farrow. Yeah, what was it for? Was it Washington Post or the New Yorker? That was for the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've read Catch and Kill as well, which is kind of yes. the same thing as she said. Yeah, yes, which I have on my bookshelf. <laughs> to read. Oh, do you? Yes. Amazing. Because I think she you said is worth it, it though. Yeah, she said is really good. Yeah. So it was just like this really fascinating insight into how precarious the investigation was, particularly in those early days, um, yeah. and like of trying to even find and locate sources, particularly because a lot of well, some of Harvey Weinstein's victims um, were famous celebrities. Uh, so how do you get private information from people who are desperately trying to keep their information private? And could have so kind of bigger ramifications if they were just a kind of a private citizen. Yes. And also the book deals so um, clever, well, not cleverly, but it highlights a lot, I think, how non-disclosure agreements just completely fuck up victims' chances of ever being able to hold their perpetrators to account. Yeah. Um, like they're entitled to financial compensation for trauma as well as justice in whatever sense they see that yeah. looking like. It's a really um, good point. Because exactly. I feel like a lot of the barriers they came up against were that effectively almost every victim of Harvey Weinstein's had signed an NDA and been given a lump sum payment as compensation for the assaults and harassment that he committed against them. Yeah, to keep quiet. Exactly. Really so he bought their silence. Mm. 
But then it meant that they were risking so much if they ever spoke on the record. Like they weren't just risking financial loss. It was so, there were so many elements baked into the NDAs that would have completely ruined them in so many mm. ways. They basically could have get, gotten countersued by Harvey Weinstein. Like they could have, I think, gone to jail or there was heaps of consequences. Right. And I guess it's also the fact that abusers often prey on the vulnerable. So it's people who really can't who need the money or need that security. So yeah. there's so much less kind of chance for them to speak out, which is more kind of insidious. It's awful. Exactly. And I feel like that was also what was really interesting about the book is that it kind of started off the back of rumours. Um, you know, it was kind of a – now we know open it was a well-known yeah. open secret in Hollywood. But on the back of Rose McGowan posting um, – some tweets I think in like 2016 or something um Mm. where she said you know she'd been assaulted by a producer and also there'd been a couple of articles throughout the years where actresses had spoken on the record to different publications they'd never named who it was but it was always a producer and they'd all clearly worked for Harvey Weinstein totally Um, yeah so the journalist Jodie Cantor who was sort of the first journalist um in charge of the piece um, yeah, like that's how it all started was this single rumor basically that then spawned this huge piece and they kind of admit that they didn't realize how big it was. They thought yeah. that <laughs> yeah. he was assaulting celebrities, but they didn't realize, you know, it extended to his staff. Um, yeah, and it was everyone ins- around him. Yeah, yeah, it was this insidious behavior that he was mm. perpetrating against effectively every woman in every sphere of his life in terms of workplace and in both senses of his employees and the actresses. And it was just so interesting, that pattern of behavior where he effectively did the same thing to every single person. He clearly picked the same, like he profiled mm. people, like it was grooming in the sense that he was totally. picking young, vulnerable women early in their career that were looking to get a head start in their career. And he yeah, that needed it, exactly. Using his power and yeah. influence and money. Yeah, and, was... each, and how similar the instances of yes. abuse were. Like he would take them up to a certain hotel room. Mm-hmm. He would get them up with a certain excuse. It would always, always massaging. be a massage. Yeah, yeah, like it's crazy how many times that happened. And even the language he would use and how similar it was. Yeah, And basically the journalists were like a lot of these women had never met each other, worked for him mm. in vastly different eras. Like some were early 90s, some were early 2000s. Like they were... Yeah. Yeah. completely unrelated these women could never have traded notes or you know mm. somehow cooked up an insanely elaborate story that some people seem to always think um sexual yeah and they were is. all identical yeah it's just wild um <laughs> but yeah i also found it interesting that the last chunk of the book sort of covers um christine blazy ford's decision to testify in the brett kavanaugh supreme court nomination process that's so true i really like how they went into that and kind of the cultural moment it yes. kind of caused like what was going on in the world like it was a real reckoning and I really loved how they described that and took you on a journey through that as well like the influence that journalists yeah. also wield and the responsibility that they have mm. so appropriate on world press day as well yes I know <laughs> and I mean part of that I think you know world press day is about um 
you know, press being able to have the freedom to publish content. And Harvey Weinstein definitely tried to stop that. So mm, both the Ronan Farrow and the Jodie Cantor and Megan Tui one. Yeah. It didn't come out so many times. Like there were so many roadblocks. Yes. So you're kind of so emotionally invested. Even though you know what happens, you just want them to like succeed I and know. for all this effort to be worth it. Yes, and for all the victims to stopped. feel a sense of justice that like they were hopefully preventing any other women from being victimized by him because that was always their biggest thing of like you know that he was such a repeat offender um anyway what is your non-book rec well, this is actually going to be, I mean, it's like an extra recommendation. Oh my God, you're doing a me. I forgot about this part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is going to be my recommendation anyway, because it's just too much. <laughs> okay. Also, again, classic me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so for my extra recommendations this week, I just wanted to shout out a few of my favourite books by journalists in honor of this topic because this really was hard for me to choose um (laughs) so I just wanted to at least shout them out a little bit um so a couple of my favorites are actually one that I read recently was Empire Land how imperialism has shaped modern Britain by Mm. Sathanam Sangira which was fascinating and also something that we still feel a lot especially living in Australia which was wild Mm. um I love Betrayal the crisis in the Catholic Church by um the Boston Chronicle which is the book that the movie Spotlight is based on and really horrifying but also important work yeah definitely and then I also I I mentioned Catch and Kill before the Diana Chronicles the life and death of Diana Princess of Wales (laughs) um by Tina Brown is it like a (laughs) it's a really weird pick but I love this book it just really shows Princess Diana is like a whole person with like flaws and a lot more smarter than she comes across. Like it's very, yeah, it's really interesting. It's a real deep dive into her as a person. I feel like Tina Brown's coming out with a new book on the royals. Yes, The Palace. Yes, I saw an article about it today. Yeah, so Tina Brown is the former editor of Vanity Fair and she had a lot of intel with Mm. the royals. So I feel like she's a good source on these kinds of things. Mm. So like super soapy, super scandalised but (laughs) fascinating all in one. Best. Yeah, exactly. I so love Talking to Strangers, um, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know by Malcolm Gladwell. Another incredible one. Is mm. The Warmth of Other Sons, the epic story of America's Great Migration by Isabel Wilkerson, which is incredible and moving and super uplifting as well. And then, of course, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, I Joan mean, Didion's collection of essays. I'm surprised neither of us chose a Didion book for this. I genuinely like considered it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'd recommended one recently and so I was like, and you've recommended one before. So I was like, and I was oh, like, yeah, do I have to? Yeah, do it again. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's what people expect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, of course I had to mention Patrick Radley. I was going to say, in terms of being predictable, yeah. where's the Patrick Radley? <laughs> Everyone should read Empire of Pain. I think you should, this is probably one that you should read as well, I think. It's a yes. secret history of the Sackler dynasty and how they kind of perpetuated the opioid crisis. It's this is a so wild interesting, book. is it? Because I read a book called Dope Sick, 
Um, oh, that's very similar. I guess. Yeah, as like is part of um, researching for this episode, basically. Oh, and it's yeah. super similar. Yeah, um, it's it's basically the same topic. Patrick Rad and Keith just goes on more about the Sackler family and how yes they've been instrumental in it. Dope sick is more of a look at like in general um, like opioid yeah. crisis in America and sort of yeah. um, particularly how it has targets lower socioeconomic families and areas oh yeah dope Dope is a and it's a mini series tv show yeah and a few people um when i posted on instagram about reading it they a lot of people messaged me saying that they really loved the tv show so not a recommendation of mine but lots of other people said it's really good so i feel like i'm gonna add it to my to watch list Definitely. I think that topic is so fascinating. So yeah. I definitely will consume more I mean, on it's that. pretty tough to read. Um, oh, it's devastating, 100%. But it's really important to understand how modern medicine is prescribed and yeah, mm. the nuances of how it intersects with capitalism, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so that's... Was there just- anything else? No, I think that's all good for me. I just wanted to shout out a couple of my other favourite ones that I've already talked about or didn't get time to today. So, yeah. So good. My recommendation. How about you? What have you been consuming? Um, I feel so predictable for recommending this <laughs> yeah. um, because I've recommended the book so many times, but the comic book series Heartstopper has been made, in, oh, made into a Netflix yes. show um, and I'm obsessed with it. It's so good. Have you watched it yet? No, I haven't watched it yet. How is oh it? Oh my God. It's so good. It's um, I think Alice Oseman, the um, creator of Heartstopper, was really heavily involved in the TV show. Like, she's credited yeah, in the TV that show. Makes but, yeah, she, I think she was really key in how successful it is because it's such a gorgeous adaption. Oh, I feel wow. like the casting was perfect. It's only really short. It's like eight episodes um, and they're like 20, 30 minutes an episode. Um, but it's just so beautiful. Oh my gosh. And I want to watch it all the time. I think I'm going to rewatch it. <laughs> I'm, which okay. is so rare for me. I never rewatch shows. Exactly. So. Yeah. It's so easy to reread a book because you miss like details and it doesn't yes. feel like you're doing it. But a TV show is a different beast. So that, I guess that says a lot. Totally. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad it's amazing. I'm going to watch it because you've always raved about Heartstopper, haven't you? Yeah. It's honestly just so good. <laughs> um... Yeah, so highly, highly recommend. Is that on, on that. Netflix? Yeah, yeah, it's a Netflix like original. So yeah, thank you for listening and indulging <laughs> us, well, mostly me in my way too many recommendations. But I hope you're at least interested in a couple of them and can pick them up because this is a great topic, I think. I think so too and we hope that you've maybe heard about some books you might not you know I feel like it's not every day that um, these kinds of books make bestseller lists or necessarily make the rounds of totally um, yes. you know what you might normally see um, yeah. for books that get recommended so I think it's yeah you know these people spend an awful lot of time um, researching and they do a phenomenal job so worth reading yeah a couple of bestsellers a couple of Pulitzers in there as well yeah. like, you know no big I think the majority of authors we um, mentioned are Pulitzer Prize winners. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, enjoy. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. 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 Bye.